Coming up, James Cromwell gets political, and Ivan Reitman talks virtual reality. When they leave school, uh, come back the next year, that pig is gone. That pig's been slaughtered. Ghostbusters really brought, broke new ground back in 1984 in, in terms of telling a story in a whole new way. I sort of went through my career, and I realized that 11 people nationally were assassinated in the nine years I was in the theater. You'll see you know, an actor you're in love with sort of playing a scene right to you. Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Come on in, make sure the door is shut though. Don't let all the air conditioning out. It is hot outside, but it's always cool and friendly in the House of Krause. Pull up a seat at the bar, sit back, and enjoy the conversations. A little bit later, our friend Chris Abel stops by with an interview that I think you're going to want to hear with Ivan Reitman. It's all about virtual reality and Ghostbusters. What do the two have in common? Stick around, you'll find out. First up, though, you know James Cromwell. That'll do, pig. You love James Cromwell. Everybody does. You've seen him in Star Trek First Contact, The Green Mile, The Sum of All Fears, Halt and Catch Fire, Secretariat. The, or he goes on and on and on. You've seen him in everything. If you want to see him now, though, you might have to go visit him in jail. He was sentenced to jail following his arrest during a power plant protest uh, back in New York in 2015. The Emmy-winning actor was put in jail for seven days for refusing to pay fines levied against him after the initial arrest. Now, I spoke with James Cromwell a couple of years ago about his political activism. Why does he do it? Where did it come from? This is what he had to say. After Babe, uh, PETA approached me, uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals, mm -hmm. uh, because I had this film about a pig to do some work with pigs, the 4-H pigs, where elementary school children raise pigs right. and keep them for the year and name them and get to know them and appreciate their intelligence and their sense of humor. And, uh, and then when they leave school... Uh, come back the next year, that pig is gone. That pig's been slaughtered, right. which is devastating to a lot of them. And then it increased. Actually, I had I hired a publicist because some a sound engineer said to me when I was looping another project, he said to me about Babe, that's an Academy Award performance. I said, come on, man. I got <laughs> 17 lines. What are you talking about? He said, believe me, it's an Academy Award uh, performance. So I got, I thought, well, this will probably be my only shot. I hired a publicist. And one of the things the publicist said to me was, what are your causes? What, what do you want right. to, well, I never had celebrity to spend up until then, which is what you have to do with celebrity. Otherwise it eats your soul. So, but when people stick microphones in your face, it's really nice to have something worthwhile to say besides I'm doing this, mm -hmm. I'm doing that. I feel this way. I feel that way. So I got involved with the Lakota Indians on the Pine Ridge Reservation with death penalty focus. I came, when I came up in the theater, I was very political. I was involved in the anti-war movement, Black Panthers. Uh, I went down south during uh, Freedom Summer. Um, and so, but I had left that behind when I had my family. It didn't seem to be available to me. Right. What celebrity does is give you the opportunity to see if you can make a difference, and uh, that's what I've been trying to do. Right. You were involved in the Committee to Defend the Panthers. Yeah. 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 And that must have, I mean, I, I can't imagine those times and uh, how, there, there, it must have felt, did it feel dangerous? It, it must have felt 
Yeah, it was not a, comfortable. I said, you know, I was giving a speech at Yale, and I, I sort of went through my career, and I realized that 11 people nationally were assassinated in the nine years I was in the theater. President Kennedy, his brother, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Medgar Evers, uh, Bobby Hutton, uh, Fred Hampton, the little girls in the Birmingham church, mm-hmm. uh, Mickey Schwerner, who I played football with in high school— was in Mississippi. When I was in Mississippi, they were missing. We knew they were missing, but we didn't know they had been killed, Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman, uh, which is, and their being killed and the FBI responding is probably the reason that they didn't try to kill us right. because they would have killed us. Um, you know, but you, 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 you know, it was sort of a learning process. I, I was just a theater actor. I was this white bourgeois kid, you know, from the North, and I had no idea what was going on. But you learn. Luckily, I, my ignorance probably protected me. Um, the Panthers, of course, made sure that you got political education so you knew sort of what you were doing. You could never answer the questions, you know, why is America a paper tiger the way they answered it? Because they lived it on the street. Mm-hmm. But you did learn. I remember the, at the end of that experience, you know, they, the Panther 13 had been sent to jail been set up by a, a federal organization called COINTELPRO, and um, they were to be sent to jail, and then they would be killed in jail by another con, and that would get rid of the Panther leadership. Well, there was an event. Uh, the Minister of Information came from the West Coast to try to resolve the conflict between Eldridge and Bobby Seale. Uh, he was arrested, uh, and as he was being arrested, he handed the forty-five automatic that he carried for his own safety to a friend of mine whose father was the lead violinist in the New York Philharmonic. When the prosecutor was stood before the judge, which I went down to see, he said, we're arresting Mr. Williams on uh, a Sullivan, violation of the Sullivan Act, which is carrying a firearm across state lines. William Kunstler, very famous lawyer yeah. who was defending him, got up yelling, you're lying, you're lying. And I'm sitting there, it never occurred to me in everything that I had learned growing up that people lied in court, which is something that black people understood. They understood the lies begin from the moment they're born, but that the police lie, the prosecutors lie, judges don't judge fairly, juries are manipulated. And uh, this is a revelation to me. So, uh, And then I let it go, and I've come, sort of come back to it. I'm getting more riled up uh, about the pipeline, I must say. Well, uh, you were, you, you, and, and you <laughs> sort of put your money where your mouth is there yeah. uh, with the criminal record now, right? I got a criminal record. Uh, yeah, I've got a file. <laughs> Do you think that your performances have changed a great deal from the Stretch Cunningham days, which I think was your first television work, yeah, it was, yeah. and and on the way through to Still Mine? Uh, without, a, without a doubt. Um, you know, I... I'm an I, I'm a spare actor. I don't. A lot of people use a lot of facial mm-hmm. uh, expressions. Uh, some people use their bodies wonderfully. Um, um, stillness seems to be my strong suit. I remember when we started Babe. Uh, another wonderful director, Chris Noonan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working on the gate, trying to fix it, and he said, "Less, do less, less, work less." And so I took took it to heart. And got very still in that performance uh, because I was supporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wasn't mine. The difficulty with this was, so now I'm the lead in a picture, 
And what is my responsibility to try to sustain this story? How much do I have to effort? And I, you learn, and I will do better the next time, hopefully, that you let other people do the work for you. It's like when you play the king. You can't actually play a king with any attribute that is kingly. What makes you a king is how other people behave towards you. Their deference, their, their fear, their respect, uh, uh, that's what creates in the mind of the audience the king. That's interesting. It, so often uh, it's it, interesting to me that given your, uh, uh, your past interest in progressive causes, you often play authority figures. Yeah. On screen. <laughs> yeah, well, I started out as a pig farmer, and then the next thing was a very corrupt and violent cop. Mm-hmm. And so Hollywood couldn't figure out what to do with me, so they sort of put me in the middle as the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> You've you mentioned Dave a couple of times. I have to tell you, it's 17 lines. I didn't know. Amazing, isn't it? I didn't know 17 lines. So are, were you one of those actors when you got the script? Do you, do you take the yellow marker and go through and, hey, wait a minute. I don't a- even use the yellow <laughs> marker, man. I just flipped through the pages and I, I said, I can't. This is stupid. This is going to be a film they put peanut butter in the animal's mouth. Yeah, yeah. It's a kid's story. But my friend, my dear friend Charles Keating said to me, hey, listen, it's a free trip to Australia. And if the movie fails, it's the pig's fault, not your fault. So what do you got to lose? So well, I did it. Well, you know, it's so because you never know what's going to hit. You know, you no. never know what's going to grab people. And that'll do pig. I mean, it, people must say that to you. A lot of people are very touched by that moment. I was touched by that moment. That was James Cromwell stopping by the House of Krauss to talk about pigs, political activism, and his decades-long career in the theater and on television and on the big screen. He's everywhere. I love James Cromwell. Glad to share that with you. Virtual reality. What the hell is it? Well, according to Wikipedia, it's a computer technology that uses virtual reality headsets, sometimes in combination with physical spaces or multi-projected environments to generate realistic images, sounds, and other sensations that simulate a user's physical presence in a virtual or imaginary environment. What? Chris Abel's here to explain it better than that. And then we'll hear his interview with Ivan Reitman. What does Ivan Reitman have to do with virtual reality? Stick around and find out. Ghostbusters Dimension is a new virtual reality experience from a company called The Void, produced by Ivan Reitman. Yes, the film director who gave us the original horror comedy movie. Now, we tend to think of VR as a solo experience. You're sitting at home in your chair, you put on a pair of goggles that match your head movement and your vision to a computer-generated world as a way to transport you to another place. But this is like a theme park ride. It's you and the next three people standing in line, hopefully your friends, if not, they'll become your friends, are ushered into a complex of hallways, corridors, and rooms, wearing backpacks, helmets, plastic guns, and of course, goggles. Now, in the real world, these halls and rooms are blank. They got white walls, there's a couple of shapes to suggest certain props, but that's it. And when you look at your friends, they're just dressed in their street clothes, jeans and a t-shirt. But the moment that the visor comes down and you've got goggles on your eyes, suddenly your friends, their clothes have become the uniforms of the Ghostbusters with proton packs on. And the room that you're in is now a haunted mansion. There are paintings on the walls that follow as you go by. There's a fireplace in the corner, and of course there are spirits 
spirits both friendly and aggressive. The plastic gun is now a proton packed and you can shoot beams against both the ghosts as well as the house that you're in. So you can scorch up the ceiling, you can destroy the walls, in fact there are secrets to unlock if you do. Now key to having a film director involved in this project, there's also real world practical effects. As you're going through this maze, there are wind machines that will blow a breeze on you to make it seem like you're outdoors. There are rumble effects in the floors that make it seem like the room that you're in is suddenly moving to a different place. There are little jets that spray out bits of moisture every time a ghost touches you. And my favorite, there's even the use of smell. Ghostbusters Dimension is about a 15 to 20 minute ride, $25 a ticket, and it just has been unveiled at the rec room here in Toronto, Ivan Reitman's hometown. And so I had the chance to sit down with Ivan, and as you'll hear, we had a very warm and thoughtful conversation about what it means to go from telling stories at the movies to now learning how to tell stories in this new entertainment realm we know as VR. I did a lot of magic as a kid, and so, the idea of creating an illusion that goes beyond just the simple one, that sort of really goes deeper in the, so that it, it really creates an emotionality that you believe in, what they call the fifth dimension, <laughs> I think is, it's all old magic stuff mixed with the most contemporary, the most cutting edge digital things that, that have been discovered so far. Well, magic is an illusion that's close up. That's right. And this is Well, it's very... not always close up. I mean. The magic show, which is I did with Doug Henning, because we both went to college at McMaster together, were all large-scale illusions on a... We did it at the Royal Alex Theater, was the word it all started. But it's sort of different if you're in a theater watching a movie, we're sort of worshipping the actors up above. But here in an experience like this, you're actually on the stage. Yeah, and that's, by the way, the hardest... So if you're the one who's in the storytelling... If you're the teller, how do you figure that out when you realize that your audience member... You know, they are the camera, and they do all the selection. Where the void is really helpful in that, as opposed to the where you're sitting on a couch, you're being sort of led slightly through a whole experience, a kind of a maze of experiences that help at least guide the, you know, the hierarchy of the storytelling. And, and the fact that Ghostbusters is their sort of first real public usage of this is, I'd like to think, appropriate because... Ghostbusters really broke, broke new ground back in 1984 in, in terms of telling a story a whole new way, using comedy, using a kind of real naturalistic reality in terms of uh, the scare factor. I mean, it's, we played it pretty legitimately, you know, starting with the, the librarian who suddenly shifts on you and scares the crap out of you. And I saw it with all audiences and they said, oh, we got to take this serious. But once I had watched how the story worked, after the movie was over, I thought it, I could watch it with pride and know that there was things that would hold together. And there's certain movies that, that seem to sort of live on. The fact that this has become kind of a, a contemporary Wizard of Oz has made me feel very fortunate. And it's such a great story because it balances between sheer terror and, and sort of the release of, of humor and comedy. And that's not something you see working well too often in other stories and other movies. It's, it's, as you said, it was kind of groundbreaking for its time. Does moving into a VR experience allow you to kind of continue to pursue that, to extend it in other ways? Well, sure, and, you know, they're already talking uh, about sort of, ex they're going to expand this all over the world. Uh, Toronto's actually the, uh, 
um, outside of being a, kind of a piloted approach at Madame Tussauds in, in Manhattan, this is really the first standalone where you we go to see this event that you just did. But um, I think there's the desire to, to continue the storytelling and use these techniques into a longer or a next chapter. Because <laughs> even though we're laughing and having a good time, we never know when it's going to shift up on us. And there was a great old film producer director named William Castle, and he used to do all these great three-dimensional effects. I used to go as a kid when I was about at the, I think it was the Alhambra Theater here in Toronto, and, and I remember there would be stuff like a ghost on a chain. I think he was the first one who tried smell-o-vision, <laughs> and um, this is kind of a really highly advanced version of that kind of interactivity. Where you actually feel like you're in the room or in the space or way up in the air. Yeah, I was thinking of that as soon as the scent kicked in. And I mean, I imagine you must have been pitched all sorts of wonky gimmicks and gadgets involving scent over the years. I've seen a number of them, and my first yeah. response was like, oh no, they're using scent. <laughs> but it works really well. And well. It's subtle, and it's really, it's near the end, so you don't have to worry about leftover. Wrong sense. I, I went to some old movie that had, and the, the thing with smell is it never goes away when you want it to. It's not an issue here, and it's, it's a very minor part of this whole experience. Well, you mentioned early with stage magic, and I keep thinking about sort of the art of the reveal. You're yes. sitting there watching magicians on stage. You can see the entire stage. And yet, magically, they make you just look over here and right. then look over there without having to kind of cut or edit. And I guess VR is going to be adopting the same kind of craft. It's creating the misdirection. It's actually direction. <laughs> and uh, so you're looking in the right place when they need you to, and other times being free to experience. Like, a lot of the sort of early VR stuff I saw was sort of sh early shooter games. They were more intense than just a standard shooter game, but it's... I just saw the latest version of... Call of Duty. I think it's Call of Duty. You could toggle forward. So it does what we do physically here, but you move through dimensionally. And I said, oh, this is like a dolly shot that I'm controlling. It's exciting, but what I kept remembering is my first experience in, at the void, and you go into, you know you're in a place in Utah, and you step in, you put the goggles on, and now you're being outside of New York on that balcony, and these things are flying around, and the sky above you is shifting. You know, as, as the technology gets better and better, those effects will get better and better, and uh, the opportunities will get more intense. Is it going to create opportunities for actors? Uh, I noticed that when I've done some VR experiences, it's occurred to me that the actor or actress is literally standing in front of me. I'm not sitting in a chair watching them up on stage. They're standing right next to me. In fact, well, the you're one not in a dark, You're not in a dark room back 60 feet. No. You're. Uh, well, You're the, in the room. One experience that I had, I looked and I realized I am looking at an actress. I can almost see the makeup and I can see the human being underneath and that struck me as just kind of a big surprise compared to seeing a movie where you're always seeing a, a character. There is that, you, you use the word intimacy and it's not just the intimacy of four people in a room but it's the intimacy to the characters themselves. I'm breathing the same air as the, the person's whose story I'm learning. Yeah. And it won't always be digitized characters, uh, even when they're based on another, a real actor's voice, where there's still that step, there's still that animation step that is holding you back. No, they'll be very, very near where it'll be photoreality. 
you'll see, you know, an actor you're in love with sort of playing a scene right to you yeah. and trying to convince you about something. Well, and in terms of offering an experience, I mean, I've done a lot of VR, but they tend to be solo experiences, right? Yes. And this one, it's four people who... I've just met these guys. We were buddies in there. <laughs> you were Ghostbuster buddies. Right? And that's not something I can point to too often with other experiences. I'm no. wondering if that was uh, an appeal to you. In Very much this. so. I mean, we were just talking about how do we... Is there a way to make this even closer to a, a film experience or that more people can experience at the same time? I mean, that's part of the sort of technological challenge from a sort of film writing, film directing old point of view, it really changes all the rules in terms of how you have to create new stories to make use of this technology. Uh, whether it's all for people all by themselves in their living room, you know, with a home machine or something like this, where frankly it's easier. It's easier because you have more tools at your disposal and you can use the physicality of it as a way of, as I was saying earlier, to maneuver your audience at least is looking in the right place at the right time. Because, you know, you could be telling a story at home on a, for people who are just trying it for the first time, so much time is spent sort of looking up and down, you're not paying attention to necessarily the central story that the storyteller wants you to go through. So it's, it's figuring out how to work that stuff out. Look, we believe in close-ups and jumping to close-ups and, and fast cutting, and is that possible in virtual reality. These are the kinds of questions that we're going to have to learn to answer. That was tech slinger Chris Abel talking with Ivan Reitman about the new virtual reality Ghostbusters. Listen, I know you want to hang around the House of Krauss all day long. Who wouldn't? It's nice here, but it's over. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for coming by. I want to thank Chris for bringing Ivan Reitman by. Thanks to James Cromwell. Most of all, though, thanks to you for coming by every single week. We put a new show up every Monday. You never know who's going to stop by for a visit. So keep coming back because who knows? Maybe one of your favorite people will be here. 